The title, the title of today's class, the lecture, is Can This Relationship Be Saved? That was the title. Subtitle question, should I quit or should I work on it? And then as a sub-subtitle, I just went on to say that amazingly enough, we all go through this question at some point of our relationship, I believe. And for other people, it's at different times. For some people, it's at the onset of the wedding, of the marriage. We struggle with two becoming one, all of a sudden having to compromise, sharing space, inner space with other people. Some people, it's when they're going through challenges of putting kids through school, not a cheap ambition in today's day and age. And for other people, interesting enough, it actually hits when you think that you're in pleasure zone. We already have our kids married out of the house. That's when you think that there's no more struggles. Interesting enough, many people find themselves then with the struggle. And interesting enough, the simple reason why you find yourself with that struggle when your nest is empty is because all you have left in the nest is you and your spouse. So during the marriage, many people have swept their own relationship under the carpet, and it's always been about the kids and about the issues, so forth and so on. And then all of a sudden, when the youngest child, you know, you dance at the wedding, the Merzinical dance with the broomstick and the umbrella, and then after that, you come back home to an empty nest, and all of a sudden, when you expect it, the struggles of marriage, a happy marriage, to be over, now we can just be in cruise control, all of a sudden that question hits. Can this relationship be saved? So this question actually takes place for everyone in different times and for some people at multiple times. But regardless of when that question comes along, the main issue is that the question needs to be answered. When that question hits, can this relationship be saved? At that point, it's not the right thing to ignore the question. If you're dealing with aspects, issues, sometimes, you know, just not now, let's not deal with it. But when that question comes, when the question is to be or not to be, can it be saved or not, we need to have an answer for that question. So that's really what this lecture is going to be all about. That question, can this marriage be saved? Should I quit or should I work on it? I want to start the, uh, the lecture. I want to start it with the end. I want to tell you what the goal of this lecture is. And then once we know the destination, the outcome of this lecture, then let's go ahead and share and enjoy the journey. The outcome of this lecture is going to be that I'm going to hope, it's my goal, that you would be willing to consider a reverse in your understanding of the questions. Now let me tell you what I mean. The first question read, can this relationship be saved? We need to answer that question. And once we answer that question, let's go to the next question. Should I quit or should I work on it? Most people, when you hear these two questions, it needs to be done in that order. Before I can decide whether I'm going to quit or work on it, I need to know whether the relationship could be saved. If the answer is no, the relationship can't be saved, then there is no purpose for question B. Why would I ask myself whether I'm going to quit or whether I'm going to work on it if I already know the answer? This relationship cannot be saved. So what am I going to work? You guys probably all heard of the prayer of serenity. You know, give me the seichel, give me the logic, give me the understanding to know what I can't fix, to accept that. So if the answer is no, and that's just a fact, then allow me to, to accept that. God, there's no question whether I should work in it or quit. There's nothing to work on. Done. If the answer to the question is yes, the relationship could be saved, now we move on 
to question B. Why? Why is there a question B if the, if the answer is yes, it could be saved? So done, let's work on it. And the logic behind that is that this is the process. Okay, this relationship could be saved. Now I need to know how much work it's going to take and how much compromise it's going to take. I need to now make decisions. Am I willing to put the amount of work that it takes to save this relationship? Am I willing to compromise the things I'm going to need to compromise in order to save this relationship? So if the answer to question number one is no, lecture's over. There's no question to quit or to work on it, it's done. If the answer to question number one is yes, it could be saved, now we need to discuss. What would it take to save this? What kind of work do I need to put in? What kind of compromises do I need to accept upon myself, come to terms with? And now I need to answer that question. Okay, I now know my choices. I now know what it's going to take. I now know what I'm going to have to look away from for the rest of my life. Am I okay with that? So the order of the question when you first read it in just conventional wisdom says, question number one is, tell me if it could be saved. Question number two, if it could be saved, am I willing to work on it or do I want to quit? That's the way the beginning of the lecture goes. My goal is that by the end of this lecture, I'd like you to consider the reverse to be true. I want you to consider that the real format of the way we're going to present things is, you tell me whether you're willing to work on it and I'll tell you whether your relationship could be saved. The reverse is going to be that the real question I'm going to ask you is whether you're willing to work on your relationship or you want to quit. Answer me that question, and then I'll answer you the next question. The point over here is, in these first, really what I'm trying to present to you is the opposite of conventional wisdom. No one wants to work on it before they know for sure that it could be saved. I don't want to waste my time. Prayer serenity. What I'm presenting to you is that it's going to be the opposite way around. First, you're going to have to answer the question, do I want to quit or am I willing to work on it? Then I will present to you the answer based on your answer, whether this relationship could be saved. Now, I need to make a real disclaimer. I am not saying that there aren't relationships out there that no matter how much you're willing to work on it, they need to end. There are abusive relationships out there. There are unhealthy relationships out there. I'm not saying that the answer to everything is, tell me if you're willing to work on it. And you're going to have to carry the burden of knowing that you, the fate of this relationship, lies upon you. Are you willing to work or do you want to quit? That's not what I'm saying. There are extreme cases out there where either because of abuse or unhealthiness, it needs to end. But what I'm presenting to you is, please respect that those are extreme cases. Now, I want to go a step further. In abusive relationships, there is physical abuse, there is emotional abuse, there's mind games abuse. In unhealthy relationships, there's unhealthy relationships where the entire relationship has been contaminated beyond the point of cure. There are unhealthy relationships with certain areas of your relationship have been contaminated. There are relationships with certain aspects of different areas of your relationship have become unhealthy and contaminated. 
Not all of them, we say that you need to get out. You're going to need to get professional help to be able to get a real objective view upon an abusive relationship and upon an unhealthy relationship to let you know when it is time to end, when it is dangerous to think that you can still work on it and save it. But understand that that is the extreme relationship cases. And I'm asking of you not to jump on that bandwagon every time you're angry, frustrated, disappointed, or hurt in a relationship. It is very easy to go ahead and jump on the bandwagon when you are disappointed or hurt in your relationship and say, you know what, this is an unhealthy relationship. And I even heard the rabbi say but at lunch and learn that in extreme cases of unhealthy, it's dangerous to even try to continue. We need to jump out. Think many times before you so easily jump on the bandwagon of saying this relationship is abusive to the point of can't fix it, this relationship is unhealthy to the point of can't fix it, not only shouldn't I be, it's actually dangerous for me not to get out while I still have all my limbs attached to my body. Don't do that that quickly. That's extreme. The norm of most marital relationship issues that I have dealt with and that you people may have dealt with and know about will be usually not one of extreme where it's dangerous or helpless. Most of those cases, I'm going to ask you to consider by the time we finish this lecture that maybe the questions are being proposed backwards. Maybe first we need to ask ourselves, tell me, am I ready to work on it or do I want to quit? And then when you present that to someone who you've turned to to help you in your marriage, they'll be able to deal with the next question, can this marriage be saved? So, I made the disclaimer, and now it's time to go ahead and focus on the lecture. For this lecture, I want to give two introductions, two important introductions, okay? Introduction number one, I'm going to share with you quickly my favorite chuppah speech. In all the chuppahs I have done, you know, the rabbi at one point makes a speech, by the way, just to know, it's not obligatory. You can tell your rabbi, please, I'd rather not have a speech. But normally, there's a speech there, okay? When there is a speech after part A of the wedding, before part B of the, of the chuppah ceremony, I will tell you what my favorite speech I've ever given is. And I won't take credit for it. It's actually not my original. I've heard this thought and I really liked it. In our blessings, the seven blessings we make under the chuppah for the chatan and kala, the bride and the groom, what do we say there? One of the blessings is, sameach te samach, please, Give joy. Bless this young couple, these loved friends, Reyim Ahuvim. Bless them with the joy that you have given in abundance to the creation of Gan Eden. Who are we talking about? Adam and Eve. So we're asking, the, we're asking God to please bless this young newlywed couple. Please, Hashem. Bless them with the abundance of joy that Adam and Eve had in their marriage bliss in the Garden of Eden. Now let me give you some inside facts of what happened of their marriage in the Garden of Eden. Number one, they were created on Friday. Number two, they were married during the day on Friday. Number three, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden on Friday. 
So we're talking about a bliss that lasted for a couple of hours. Let me also share with you that within that beautiful bliss, within moments after they're married, Eve is out being enticed by a snake. So let's really consider what are we talking about? What exactly is this abundance of joy that Adam and Eve had in their marriage in Gan Eden that we wish upon the Chatan and Kala? I will tell you that some rabbis say that the blessing is there were no in-laws to deal with. But on a more serious note, I want to share with you what the ultimate blessing that Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve never had to ask of themselves this question, did I marry the right one? That bliss, that bliss of knowing that she is the only one for me. My other choice was a cow, a cat, or a dog. A and the other choice of him knowing and her knowing, the reverse, that he is the only one for me. There was no college sweetheart, high school sweetheart. I should have said yes to him, should have said yes to her. What was I thinking? That didn't exist. And I will tell you that this question of the mind and heart, did I marry the right one, is the most detrimental question that can exist in any marriage. It is the deepest undermining of a blissful marriage. Understand that Adam and Eve had their moments. Adam was disappointed, Eve was frustrated, and even in those moments of, you wanna choke the guy to death, she knew, he's the only one for me. We can work on this marriage, but the marriage in its basic fundamental is the right one. I never married the wrong person. That is the most important introduction I can give before we start this class. Because the one and only thing you really need to know to be able to clearly and objectively see things is to understand that he is the only one for me. She is the only mate, soulmate, life mate that I have. She is a perfect match for me. So I want to share with you that before we go any further into looking into the question, can this relationship be saved? I'm going to ask of myself and of you to ask ourselves a very serious question. The struggles I have in my marriage, are they objective? Are they issues I have with her and behaviors? Or are they subjective? An important question you need to really face yourself. The definition of subjective in this sentence is going to be, am I having problems with this guy in my marriage because I've seen another guy who behaves so much more like a gentleman? Am I having struggles in my marriage because my friend, she looks so happy and I don't look so happy in my marriage? If those are the questions, then understand that the issue is not whether your relationship could be saved. There are different issues at play. I'm asking you, please, really face yourself and ask yourself these questions. 
were the issues in my marriage introduced by someone else I know, I see, I have a fatuation for, a respect for, admiration? Do I look at my neighbor when I go out with her and I look at, wow, she is so respected, so loved, so happy. Why don't I have that in my marriage? If those are the causes of your struggles in your marriage, you need to do self-work. Now, I'm going to tell you that this is no laughing matter. I want to tell you an amazing law in the Talmud. A Jewish wife comes to court and tells the Bet Din, Rabbis, I have come to see my evil ways. I want to confess I had an affair. Now let me tell you what that does legally. Legally, a husband is not allowed to remain married to his wife if she had an affair. So she's coming and giving a confession. Rabbi, I was tipsy. I don't know. It's just foolish. I don't know. I felt lonely. He just didn't give me attention. And this guy came along. And what should I tell you? I just I had an affair. <clears throat> you know what the verdict is? You don't believe her. Do you know why you don't believe her? Because maybe she really is in love with someone else and she wants to get her divorce. This is a perfect way to be able to tell the husband, you have no choice, you need to give me a divorce. The words of the Talmud, the Talmud is, Shema, lest, yitin eino ba'acher, she gave her eyes to another person. So this question is real. And this question is not the topic of this class. If you want to talk about what happens when the reason you're having problems in your marriage is because you're infatuated, not behaved upon, God forbid, but an infidelity of the heart, the mind, with someone else, and that's causing me problems to be able to accept the beauty and challenges of my own marriage, then we need to have a different class or a different one-on-one -on -one session. But that's not this class. This is an introduction to this class. Get that out of the way before you can really see what this class is about. Introduction number one. Let's talk about introduction number two. People marvel, question, laugh at the Hasidic process of matchmaking and dating. We all think it's ridiculous. This father knows that father. You have a boy that wears pants. I have a girl that wears a skirt. It's a shidduch. And then they go out. In certain circles, they only go out in the parents' home. And we'll give them a couple of minutes. No, have you decided? So by the way, let me destroy the myth. It is a myth that the matchmaker and the parents have the final say. There's an outright law in the Talmud that you cannot force someone into marriage. They have the final say. Matchmakers serve a purpose. Dating serves a purpose. I can only tell you that I heard directly from the Rebbe's secretary, the Rebbe blessed memory, his secretary, Rabbi Grona, told one of my classmates a story where someone wrote into the Rebbe, I'm starting to feel funny, wrong. I've gone out already on so many dates and I haven't decided. Well, is it right to go out on more dates? And the Rebbe quoted to him a name of a certain chassid and said he went out on a lot of dates too, of a chassid of yesteryear. So as long as it's for the right reason, it's not about having a wonderful moment in its own without any purpose and cause, 
it's actually in the focus of really seeing, is this my soulmate? Is this a person I can live with all my life? Is this a person I can love and respect? Then go out as many dates as you have to. Just stay focused what we're doing. Sometimes the date isn't an end to a mean, it's just an end in itself. Then you need to question yourself, if you come from Hasidic background, what are you doing? So now I want to share with you the secret of this Hasidic form of dating matchmaking. The secret is that the challenge of marriage is not to marry the person you love, it's to love the person you married. Let me say that again. In my notes, I don't know how to do this orally, but in my notes, this is in bold italics with exclamation mark. So somehow see it in the words coming out of my mouth. The secret of marriage, the challenge of marriage, is not to marry the person you love. It's to love the person you marry. So now let's go back. The matchmaker. What is the matchmaker's job in the match. The matchmaker's job is to see whether logistically this match makes sense. What kind of family did he grow up in? What kind of family did she grow up in? What kind of ideals did they grow up with? What are their she'ifot? What are their goals? What are their yearnings? What are their aspirations? Do they match? And once the shotgun has done its real background search, and presents to the family of the groom and the family of the bride. I've been in this business long enough. I know the chemistry of backgrounds. And I'm telling you that everything I hear about your son, the family from which he comes, and everything I hear about this girl and the family from which she comes, they logistically can make a perfect match. Now that we know that, we go to stage two, dating. The process of dating is that not only know it logistically makes sense, unfortunately, we're not doing a computer sync, so it's not only data intellectualism that has to match. These are human beings driven by emotions more than by intelligence. So now we need to see if A, chemistry, B, physical appearance, C, emotionals, do they match? So once the Shatchan did her or his work right, and once the dating process was right, and they've come to the conclusion, logistically, chemical, the chemistry behind it. I like the way she looks. She likes the way he looks. And emotionally, we feel the same way about things. We have a respect for each other. Now we know that this is a match made in heaven. Have you noticed that I did not say at any point that part of the dating process is whether she hears bells and he sees stars? That's not part of the matching, the dating process. But if the matchmaking was done right and the dating was done right, then this is a match made in heaven. And now I will present to you that whether this marriage is a marriage of bliss will depend upon this boy and this girl every day of the rest of their life. So the secret is not whether I marry the person I love. The, per the real secret over here is whether I can love the person I married. Because logistically, 
Most marriages are not mistakes. There's been research, you've spent time with each other, you've looked into the backgrounds of each other, you've got to know each other on a respectful level, and you already decided that it's okay. So unless a week after the Sheva Brachas, you come back from the honeymoon and you find this big, ugly skeleton in the closet that you didn't know about, then the Shidduch was right. The marriage was right. Now the question of a happy marriage, of a blissful marriage, of a loving marriage, that question will be one that the boy and girl need to answer every day of their working marriage. Okay? So these two introductions need to be in place before we step into the lecture. Number one, is it subjective problems? Problems that you have because of what you see in other people? Or is it objective? No, there's an issue. If us two are the only ones left in the entire universe, there's an issue here in this marriage. Number one. Number two, do we understand that the art of a blissful marriage is learning how to love every single day the person you married. Every day it needs to be learned, worked on, fueled, cultivated, nurtured, and it needs to be held sacred. No, introductions out of the way. Let's start the class. The face of a relationship. Let us clearly define what the definition of the word work means when we talk about a marriage. We've already planted a seed that the goal of this class, this lecture, the moment, the journey we're sharing here, is to understand that the fundamental question is, am I willing to work on my marriage? Then, after that's answered, we'll deal with, can this relationship be saved? Again, again I tell you, that does not mean that every marriage could be worked on. You need to sometimes go to serious professional people to find out if this relationship is, God forbid, physically abusive, my personal opinion. You don't need to ask anyone. Go straight to uh, move out of the house. Other relationships of abuse, emotional, mentally, I think could be worked on. It all depends on the severity of it. Unhealthy relationships, we need to define the quality and quantity of the unhealthiness. Is it something that could be worked on? So there are times you need to get out and get out now. It needs to cease and desist right away. You're in danger. But I'm going to assume that 99.9% .9 of relationships we deal with doesn't have those issues. Okay? So now let's deal with the understanding that this relationship could be worked on and love is not something you marry because of. It's something that happens because of marriage and we work on it. So now the question is, can we define the word work? What does it mean when we say work on a relationship? I want to give you another parenthetical note. I am not talking now, presently, about starting a relationship. Starting a relationship has another set of rules. I'm talking about a pre-existing condition. We're talking about that this relationship is already here. You're in the relationship, you're happily married, and now there's problems brewing, struggles, challenges. That's what we're talking about, okay? So don't take this into, okay, the next guy I'm going to date, I'm going to do this work the rabbi's talking about. It's not healthy. You need to really understand whether a person deserves your wholehearted commitment and presence in a relationship. You don't just go out on a date and give yourself to someone. 
But we're talking about when that's already been done. You're married. Okay? What is the definition of the word work? The first and most fundamental definition of the word work in this arena. When you ask yourself, am I willing to work on this marriage? My relationship. The definition of the word work here will mean, am I willing to be 100% in this relationship? That is the real question of the definition of the word work. The real question on the table is, okay, been married, been through a long journey, we have issues, now there's questions on the table, and I want to know, am I willing to work on this marriage? I'm asking you now to be able to have the thought that the technique and the exercises and the compromising is not what the word work means in this sentence. The real question is, am I still willing to be 100% in this relationship? I want to go on with the thought. When someone turns to a rabbi, a marriage to a counselor, whatever it is, whatever person it may be in your life that you would want to share this and hope that they can guide, help, hear you out, I want you to clearly understand that the job of a rabbi, therapist, priest, whatever it's going to be, friend, is going to be only to hear you through, I'm choosing my words carefully, to hear you through to the choice that you could work on this marriage, that you could be 100% in the marriage. The job of a rabbi, therapist, friend is to hear you through that it may be the logical thing to do and go back 100% into the relationship. The rabbi, the therapist, the friend can hear you through to the fact that it may be the right thing to do. Not only is it possible, not only is it logical, it may be the right thing to do. But that's all that a rabbi or a therapist or a friend can do for you. The decision to be or not to be 100% in a relationship will only be yours. No one can make it for you. Your friends can be frustrated. Why are you throwing in the towel? Every relationship of two human hearts and minds are going to run into friction. This could be saved. What are you thinking? They may be frustrated. They may be pulling your hair out of their head. They may be feeling, I failed. I couldn't, I couldn't show this person what's really out there. But they're going to have to deal with that because they can't change that. There's only one person who can decide whether he or she is willing to be 100% in a relationship. And that's you. I also want to share with you, important, whether your significant other is going to be 100% in this relationship or not, at this stage of you deciding whether you're going to work on it or not, is not in control of your deciding to be 100% in a relationship or not. I want to say that again. Whether your significant other spouse 
is or is not 100% in the relationship as of present. Does not command whether you will or will not be able to be 100% in a relationship. Especially so when you're in the beginning of your own inner process. You're at your side of the ring deciding whether I will quit or whether I will work on this marriage. Yes, it would be encouraging. It would be easier. It would give hope. It would lessen the pain of loneliness. If he also at this stage decided, you know what, honey? We got issues. Let's both give it all we got. Yeah, that would be great. That would make things so much more brighter. But it's not a necessity. You're in your own corner right now, making your own decision. Will I or will I not be willing to put myself 100% back into this relationship? I want to share with you that relationships, especially marriage, do not depend on compromise as much as they depend upon absolute commitment. Now I know in the first years of your marriage, in those tearful conversations with your mom, she told you, honey, sweetheart, it's about compromise. That's what marriage is all about. If you learn to compromise and he learns to compromise, it'll be okay. <laughs> now, I am not the one to argue with a Yiddish mama. But I do want to share with you that your mama, your Yiddish mama, took in consideration that you are 100% committed into your marriage. And you know something? In the first few years of the marriage, probably everyone is 100% in the relationship. So your mother knew that now it's just an issue of marriage techniques 101. Come here, daughter. Let's talk about it. But a lot has gone on since those early years in your last discussion with your mother of your marriage. It isn't there that much. There's been a lot of arguments, a lot of struggles, a lot of pain, a lot of things that shouldn't have been said, shouldn't have been done. So I'm not arguing with your Yiddish mama. I'm just telling you that the playing field changed. In the first years of your marriage, when your mother spoke to you about compromise, it's because the fact that you were 100% in this marriage was a fact. It was acknowledged. Then, all we need to do is talk about techniques. What we need to talk about today is not technique. We're not talking about newlyweds that are first learning what it means to share inner space, compromise. What we're talking about here is years of marriage. We're talking about moments that should have never happened in a marriage. We're talking about deep disappointment. We're talking about fears. We're talking about pride being broken, disrespected. So the question here is not one of technique. The question here is a fundamental one. Am I willing to once again be 100% in my relationship, in my marriage? Let me tell you what it really boils down to. It boils down to whether you can go back to what you have said or heard in your marital vow under the chuppah. 
The word said is at mikudeshet li. You are hereby sanctified, kadosh, mikudeshet, unto me. What is the definition of the word sanctified? You know what the word sanctified means? In Jewish law, it means separated. These two people are now separated from any other relationship in the universe. Which ultimately means that under your chuppah, you made one commitment. I will be kadosh unto you. I will be 100% in this relationship. There's no piece of me that I'm sharing with someone else other than my spouse. That's what the word mikudeshet means. And that's what you committed to under the chuppah. And let me share with you, that is the commitment that needs to take place for God to be able at a chuppah to sanctify this relationship as a marriage where one plus one equals one. That's what it takes. So, when we talk here today about the question, am I going to quit? Or am I willing to work on it? Please understand that the definition of the word work here is not learning to compromise, learning technique, learning how to speak to each other. No. We need to go to a more fundamental issue. Am I still willing to be 100% in this relationship? Let's go to the next point of this uh, lecture. Let's not be naive. Let's be serious. Let's be realistic. In our relationships, we have learned to hide our face. We hide our face in our marriage. The definition of being 100% is what we call in Kabbalah the face-to-face -face relationship. When I am facing my spouse, that means that my ponim, my face, my attention, the word ponim also means pnimiyut, my interior, is totally given over to this relationship. But you know what happens in marriage? We learn to hide our face. Why do we hide our face? We hide our face to hide our shame. We hide our face to hide our vulnerabilities. We hide our face to hide from the pain. We hide our face often because this is the war of who's in control, who's hurting who, who needs who? It's the way we become an offensive attack in the war of marriage rather than a defensive attack. We hide our face, we're not vulnerable, and now we can say things, we can macho it out, we can let the other person know that as far as I'm concerned, you can walk out of that door and never come back. We hide our face. That's what happens in a marriage. And then the challenge over here really becomes very deep. Now you need to ask yourself, and I ask myself, am I willing to stop hiding my face? That's vulnerable. That's really being willing to say, you know what? I'm not playing. I'm not playing with myself. I'm not playing with my spouse. I'm not playing with my therapist. I'm not playing with my rabbi. I'm really going to work on it. I'm really going to put it out there that I trust in the marriage. I trust in my spouse. Yeah, there are things we're going to have to work out. But that's commentary. 
Right now we're dealing with the actual verse. The verse on relationship isn't whether we can respect each other, compromise, share things. The verse is whether I can once again turn my face to you. Can I really turn my entire face to you? Can I trust you with my face? Can I look into your face? Can I have that 100% relationship? And if I can't, or I'm not willing to, would be a more appropriate word, then you've already answered question A. Can this relationship be saved? So when you hear the question, should I quit or should I work on it? Work on it does not mean to be able to give a therapist parnasa. We're going to go. And I'm telling you, Rabbi, I went already. We went for 20 sessions. Guy charges an arm and a leg. Our insurance doesn't cover it. We've tried. What else do you want? He spoke to us about sitting every night on the bed, facing each other, talking for 15 minutes. He spoke to us about setting away time where we both go out together. We've done that. We've role-played all of it. Whoa, hear the word. Role-played all of it. That's the difference between working on a relationship or not. Are you role-playing? Are you soothing your conscience? Are you trying to become okay with your children when you decide to divorce? That's called role-playing. That's not called working on your marriage. That's actually called working on your divorce. So when you hear the question, are you willing to work, not you, let's talk in personal sense, am I willing to work on my marriage? Know that that question is not whether I'm willing to go for help. Know that that question is not whether I'm willing to compromise. Know that it's not whether I'm willing to do technical work. The real question here is, am I willing to uncover my face? Am I willing to become vulnerable, 100% absolute in the relationship? Am I willing to renew my vows and hear myself again and again say, I am sacred. I am 100% in this relationship. I am 100% separated from every other relationship. This is where I totally am. That's the question of this lecture. When you hear the question, am I willing to work on my marriage? That's all I'm asking you in the subtitle. I'm not asking you to come for sessions. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to be. Are you willing to accept that if I'm going to work on my marriage, it's real. I'm going to uncover my face. I'm going to turn my face to my spouse and be nowhere but looking at my spouse. And obviously, I don't mean looking just physically. That too. That's the question of should I work on my marriage? Let's talk about the last point. This is a real question. Is it safe for me to uncover my face in this relationship? It's a real question. I've been hurt. In my own mind, I've been defiled. The sacredness of my being and what I put into this relationship has been betrayed. I don't want to hurt no more. I don't want to be lonely no more. 
If I'm not in a relationship, I'm not lonely. Please understand that. A, a lecture of its own. The definition of lonely is when you're in a relationship and you feel alone. When you're not in a relationship, you're not lonely. I don't want to feel lonely no more. So it became safer this way. I don't even know if I want to get divorced, but we definitely have downgraded it from marriage into partnership, coexisting, tolerating. Why would I take a chance? It's okay this way. Was it my choice? No. Do I wish it could be different? Sure. But is it safe? Is it safe for me to be the one to uncover my face? Is it safe for me to be the one to decide I'm 100% in this relationship? I want to share with you a story. A rabbi and a priest were walking in the street. And the priest turned to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, why do you rabbis always answer a question with a question? And the rabbi turned around to the priest and said, why not? I'm going to end this lecture with answering the question with very empowering questions. The question is real. Is it safe for me to uncover my face once again in this marriage? I'm going to answer that question with empowering questions. Where is that question coming from? Is it coming from my pride? Is it coming from my fear? Is it coming from my pain? I want to share with you that it is beautiful and powerful and it is okay to face your fear, to face your pain, and to face your pride. Once you answer that question, where is this question of safety coming from? And you identify, you know what? Very justifiably so, I've got pride issues in being the one to uncover my face in this way marriage now. And you know what? It's justified for me to say that I don't feel safe because of my fears. I don't feel safe because of my pain, because of my loneliness. That's real. No one has a right to tell you, oh, grow up. Those are real. You have a decade or two in a marriage. Those are real justifiable reasons to be afraid. And ask yourself, is it safe to uncover my face? But once you know the answer to that question, is it pain? Is it pride? Is it fear? Then I just want to share with you. It is beautiful and powerful to face your pain, face your fear, and face your shame. And once you know the answer to that question, you're now going to know the answer to the previous question. Do I want to work on this marriage? Do I want to uncover my face and be 100% there? And then I share with you, once you know the answer to that question, whether you're willing to work, be 100%, face, face, to face in the relationship,